You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Man, I hope you are enjoying uh, just the new album that Sun Grove Worship put out. We just give it up for our band and their artistry, their creativity. Uh, yeah, I got to tell you, like, it's so encouraging for these artists to see, I mean, what, the album's been out like a week and a half, and to see your mouth, like, singing the words along is just hugely encouraging. And it's just a beautiful thing when artists use their gifts in a way we believe it inspires people and it glorifies God. And I don't know what your artistry is or what God's put in your heart, your gift's ability. Some people are using those with children's ministry and in outreach and in missions and in worship and in art and in design and other areas, but God has gifted you individually. He wants your gift to inspire others and glorify him. It's just awesome to think about just exactly how electrifying that can be, right? That's, that's Deanna's song. She's written that with, with Matt, that they just talked about how God's electrifying. And, and the album words, I mean, the words of that song, the lyrics, are on the back of your outline. When you take out your outline, you're going to need it today for today's sermon. But if you look on the back, one of my favorite lines in that whole song is I was just listening to it so much this week. Uh, it's this, it, it's speaking of God, and it says, You're, you are sharing secrets never heard, so I'm listening. So I'm listening. What does that look like? That God has, I'm going to get rid of that. So what does it look like that God has, he's been sharing secrets uh, never heard, but God still speaks. It's the idea that God still speaks to you. And if I were to take a survey in here today and say, how many of you have heard directly from God, most of you, just to be honest, most of you in this room would be like, I never heard from God. Just being honest, I just never heard from God. And the reason that you say you've never heard from God is because you don't know how God speaks to you. So my prayer is that when each of us leave here today, we will be able to say, every person in this room will be able to say at the end of today, I know how God speaks to me and why he speaks to me in this way among many ways that God speaks. Uh, if you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter 20. It's in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul is, uh, has formed a special relationship with the church at Ephesus. He helped form this church, helped birth it. It started meeting in a house. It began to grow, and he's been like their pastor. He's got a special relationship, but now he's going on, and he's planting other churches in other regions, but he's back in Ephesus uh, with his church on this particular time, and he's really formed a special relationship with that church in Ephesus. And my hope is that over time, as you call Sun Grove Church your, not just your home, your church home, but really your church family, that you and I will form a special relationship that where you and I can hear from God in this way together. And that's what's been going on for Paul there. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually as we're sitting here today, that we would understand one of the ways that you speak, one of the ways that you reveal your word to us. God, that we would embrace that, that we would have ears. We believe that you are sharing secrets never heard. And so this morning, we just say corporately, God, we're just saying we're listening. So we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Acts chapter 20, you turn with me to uh, verse 7. It says this, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to, in a little while, we're going to have communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to break that bread together. We're going to celebrate and remember the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's interesting in this first 
statement that uh, makes. Luke is writing the book. He wrote not only the book of Luke, which was his investigative reporting of the account of Jesus' ministry on earth, but it was after that time that he became a disciple, that he became a believer, and now he's writing about what's happening in the history of the early church, and he's saying we. So he says this, on the first day of the week, we. Why is he saying we? It's because he's not writing investigative reporting anymore. He's writing about firsthand eyewitness experience. He's along for the ride. He is the one, the narrator, the one who's saying, I was there. So he's saying on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until when? Until midnight. I hope you have nothing scheduled for the rest of the day. <laughs> right? So here it is. And the word spoke, we would write it spoke in English, uh, but what really the word there is, is the word that he preached. He preached. And you'll remember in history, that's kind of a negative connotation in our culture right now, right? Don't preach to me. Don't preach to me like preaching has kind of this negative idea. If you go way back, you remember Madonna saying, Papa, don't preach, right? You know, and if you remember that song, you're old. And if you don't remember that song, you're young. And, and, uh, and she's old. Madonna's old now, along with the rest of us. And so, but, but it's got kind of a negative connotation, but that's what that word is. That Paul, he preached to them. He preached to the people, and he kept going until midnight, verse 8. There were many lamps upstairs in the room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Now, let me just pause right here. Young man doesn't mean young adult. It doesn't mean a 20-something. Young man in, in a Jewish culture and even in early Greek culture would be like a teenager, okay? So there's this teenager here. He's at church, and he's, as many teenagers do, don't get enough sleep at night. And so it's going on and on. It's now midnight, and this guy's getting sleepy, right? So seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and, help me out here, on, on and on, Right? Keeps going. Sometimes you feel the preacher always does that. He just goes on and on. You know, he won't stop. So when he was sound asleep, some of you are not alone. There are others who sleep in church. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Now you need to pause right here, okay? I just got to tell you something. Just because you believe in Jesus Christ, just because you're a believer, doesn't mean that God physically saves you from being stupid. I'm just saying, if, if you are going to pick a place to sleep, like these are comfy chairs, but if you're going to pick a place to sleep, you're not going to be like up here in the loft, you know, sitting on the rail, leaning against that post. If you're going to pick a place to sleep, you don't want to do it from a place where you could die. In other words, when you leave here today, just because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you sleep on the way home while you're driving, God may not save you. He may not save you from stupidity. If you're, if you're driving and you're sleepy, stop driving. Pull over, get some sleep. Take care of that in a safe location, then resume driving. Well, this guy's sitting up in a window on the third story. Not a bright idea. Again, if you were in the loft today, please stay in the loft. Do not come over the railing, right? Verse 10. This guy falls out of the window, so verse 10. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. And a miracle in this moment happens, right? So he says, don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. So they went upstairs, they had the Lord's Supper together, they broke bread, they ate. And after now, talking until when? Till daylight. Okay, so just got to understand for a minute. Paul not only has preached until midnight, they had a brief miracle happen, raised this guy from the dead, and now they broke bread and they ate, they kind of just fueled back up, and now he's going to talk until daylight. And let me just ask, do you think anybody else fell asleep those hours? 
No, like everybody's like, they're like, you know, their eyes are like oh, wide open. They're just, you know, they're absolutely, nobody else is like, I don't want to die and have to get raised back to life either. So I'm going to stay awake. You know, whole day. he keeps talking, talking, talking until daylight uh, and he left. So it goes all night long. Then verse 12, the people took the teenager home alive and were greatly comforted. You know what's interesting is the teenager's name. His name is Eutychus. And it comes from a combination of two Greek words. You want to know what they mean? They mean the idea of fortune or, or good and luck. His name literally means good luck, right? So good luck sleeping in the window, buddy. He falls down is dead. And then of all things, he has good fortune because he is raised to new life, right? Like how funny is that, right? So if your name means good luck, yeah, it doesn't mean you have nine lives. It might mean it might take Paul and a miracle to actually raise you. So don't sleep during church, I think is the overall message. <laughs> but we have to ask something. Why are these people here all night? Why are they here listening to Paul? What kind of special relationship is formed? And, and what is it about preaching that the people in the church of Ephesus knew that many of us have forgotten? What is it about that that many of us have forgotten? I mean, you go to India, like if you go on a mission trip with us to India, we will attend church on the weekend that we're there. And that church service is three hours long. Three hours. I mean, I hit 42 minutes and some of you are like, like ADD has kicked in and you're, and you're almost asleep, right? So, so three hours long. You go to a church in China. It's going to be an underground church. It's going to be a hidden away church because it's illegal to meet and gather as Christians in China. And so they put word out and they move their location around. And there are people in China, believers, Christians, who will travel half a day on trains or other places or more just to get there. And they will be there. And once you start preaching or teaching, they will say, keep going, please. Go all night. We don't care. We, you don't understand the cost just to get to church. We need to be encouraged. We need. What is it that the church in India, the church in China, what is it about the preaching that the church in Ephesus, Ephesus knew that many of us have forgotten? And the answer is this. God uses preaching to speak directly to you. He uses preaching to speak directly to you. God is going to speak to you in the context of relationship. Remember, God is relational. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. In his essence, by the way, there's only one God. God is not a person. God is essence. It's different than you and me. But within that essence, that one God, God reveals himself through Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. That God, there is no competition there. There is a complete unity. There's no posturing in there. There's no, you know, anything in there that's wrong. God is perfect. God is light. And within him, he's completely relational. God is a we. God is relational in the context of being one God. That is God. He's relational. God describes himself to people like you and me in relational terms. In the Old Testament, he would reveal himself to the Jewish people by saying, I am, and then he would describe who, who he is. He says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the Jewish people are like, okay, we know. These, these are people of our heritage. We know of Abraham. We know of Isaac. We know of Jacob. And this God that's revealing himself to us is a relational God. He's saying, I'm gonna reveal myself to you in the context of relationship. And so God is going to speak to you and me in the context of relationship. So what I want you to understand today is that God calls on preachers to speak his words. God calls on preachers to speak his words. That's the nature of what he is because he's a relational God. 
Paul said it this way as he's talking to Timothy. And he's talking to this young protege preacher. And he's telling him, listen, Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 1.11, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now, i got to point something out to you in this verse. That Paul didn't call himself to be an apostle and a teacher and a herald. By the way, if somebody appoints themselves an apostle, somebody appoints themselves as a teacher, appoints themselves as a preacher, you should be wary of that person because it's clear, as Paul describes, that God is the one who appoints. God appoints his preachers. God appointed. In fact, when, for me, I was in ninth grade, and God just in my heart said, Dave, I want you to be a preacher. And I said, um, No. I want to be a pro soccer player. And you don't understand, God, like I could make the whole cell, right? God, the platform I could have, could you imagine what a great thing I could do for your gospel if, if I was a pro soccer player? And I didn't know in ninth grade like how big I wouldn't get and how my knees would wear out and how, and, you know, I, I wouldn't know like my ability, even though my coaches would be like, oh, you're going to probably play for a D1. No, I'm not. I wasn't going to play for a D1 school, play for an NAIA school, and we beat our own school every year. It was awesome. But, <laughs> but I want to be a pro soccer player. But God called. And God didn't force me. God began to work in my heart and to wear me down a little bit so that I would be willing to say yes to his call. God is the one who appoints. Listen, um, all the time when I was a kid, I got in trouble for this. My mouth. All the time. Not that I was swearing. It, was, it wasn't sometimes. But... I got in trouble because I would talk a lot. I would always talk. Like, we'd be in a serious situation in class, and I'm always making jokes. And I'm like, when I was young, I was like the class clown. And I would, man, funny stuff comes to my mind, and it comes right out my mouth, right? On the soccer field, they called me the assistant coach. We didn't have an assistant coach. But I'm out on the field telling everybody, right? You know, I'd be like encouraging, telling I'm just coaching. It's just this mouth, it just all the time. In fact, what some people see as a curse. God said, this is a blessing. Everyone say blessing. It's a blessing, right? Some people took it as a curse that I just talk a lot. My parents were like, what are we going to do with Dave, right? Just talk, 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 talk. Well, it's, God said, I'm going to use that. That is going to be a blessing. So why would God appoint me? Why would God call me? Why would he appoint me? And some of you are like, oh, Dave, come on. God appointed you because he loves you. Nope. God didn't call me or appoint me because he loves me. God called me because he loves you. That's what happened. God chose me because he loves you. Why? Because you're a bunch of knuckleheads and you can't listen to a normal sermon. Seriously, like you go to another church and people are wearing robes and stuff and it's like wah, 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 and you're right over your head, right? You don't get it. And, and so God's like, literally, I think God, you know, God in essence, up in heaven is like, man, what are we, we going to do to reach that guy? And one of the other parts of God is like, I don't know, like, he's an idiot. What are we going to do? And then Jesus all says, I, I know, I know, Dave Flag, <laughs> Right? Like, we got the guy for this because God is going to communicate with you. You know, why, why do we have fun together here at Sun Grove? You know, because you can't listen to that regular sermon. You get all, like, you know, boxed up and, and, and you get put off by the robes or the, the diversity that happens there and, and you just don't get it. Listen, literally, sometimes you listen to another preacher in another place and you're like, I, don't, I just don't understand that. And that's because God wants to speak to you in a special way. Literally, you need a special preacher. 
You do. You need a special one. That's what you need. God knew you need a special preacher. So he calls on preachers to speak his word is what God does. But God uses sermons to speak to me and to you, right? He does that with us, doesn't he? God uses sermons. You got to realize that this is one of the ways God communicates directly to us. I mean, have you ever been in church and you were listening and you were like, I can't believe it. Like this sermon was directly for me. Maybe even this week you were like, God, I don't ever hear from you. I don't know how you speak. I get so frustrated that I don't hear from you. And you come to church and you're like, the whole sermon's on like God speaking to you to me. Wow. Maybe you're sitting in church and you're like, you just feel like the whole sermon, it was directly at you. In fact, if you're a teenager in here, you start getting suspicious. You're like, did my parents email the pastor? Right? Some of you are sitting next to your spouse and you're like, you're, you're elbowing. You're like, we should not have put that up on social media. Can't believe you. Right? Because you just feel like the sermon was directly at you, directly at your life. You think somebody ratted you out and you were there and you're just like, it just feels like it's right at me. Well, what happened? What happened in that moment? God speaks to you in the context of sermons. You know, people come up sometimes afterward and be like, Pastor, that sermon today, you know, it was, it was directed, like it was just for me. It really, you know, spoke to me. And I'm saying, of course it did. That's what a sermon's supposed to do, that God's going to leverage what we're doing here to speak directly to you. That's what he wants to do. That's how passionate God is about you. He wants to speak to you through the context of a sermon. And so the book of Ephesus, Ephesians in, in the Bible, the book of Ephesians is written to the people of the church of Ephesus. So Paul has started that church. He's gone on these other places. And the book of Ephesus is written, it's like his sermon back to them. And then they were to circulate that letter around other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in the region. So his book was that sermon that was to make an impact in the, in the region. It was Paul, this relationship he had as part of God's communication of his will to the people, and it was circulated. In the same way, Sun Grove Church is going to be a place where the word of God is communicated, and it should make an impact in the region of Sacramento by the people who attend church. That's the way it should work. So when I come to a sermon on a weekend, I ask God, what do you want me to say? This week, I'm looking at the, at the lyrics of the song, Electrifying, and I know I, I want to talk about God, like, how do you speak to your people? How do you do that? And, and I'm, I'm not sure, God, what do you want me to communicate? So literally, I like leave my office, I go on a prayer walk, and I kind of walk back here in the, in the little cul-de-sac, and back behind there, there's some open area and some little like lakes area, runoff area, and it's just beautiful, and I'm just... I got to get out of my office. I got to get out. I got to talk to you, God. God, And what I'm asking is, God, what do you need to hear? God, what do you want to say to your people? It's not, hey, what do I want to preach? What would be fun for me? What would be exciting? It's, God, what do you want to say to your people? That's what we want to know. And so I ask the Lord, how can I speak your truth? What truth do you want to communicate? Have you ever had someone speak truth to you? but it did not go to your heart. It went in your ears, but it did not go to your heart, right? Maybe they said it in a way that was just nasty or hurtful or, or uncaring, and like, you're like, man, maybe what they said was true, but they're a jerk. Like, you did not like it at all. You're like, that, ouch, that was hurtful. And you heard it, it was here in your head, but it never made its way to your heart. Well, I want you to know something. God wants to reach your heart. The prayer is this, that sometimes Though people will speak truth, it doesn't reach our heart. God wants to reach your heart. He knows how 
you need to hear it. God knows how you need to hear it, and he wants to communicate it. And sometimes you and I, we can only become real with God through someone else's words that help us become real with God. We need their words to help God. How do you do that? How do you draw close to God? How do we pray? How do we encounter God? How do we grow? Well, God wants us to grow through community. He wants us to circle up, not just be in rows. He wants to communicate to us. And sometimes we can only get real with God through other people's words. And we've all had moments where we were sitting listening to a sermon and we just know that God spoke powerfully to us through a sermon. It's one of the ways that God communicates directly to you. He uses sermons to speak to you, and he uses sermons to speak to me, right? So when you and I sit in church, when you and I sit there, we should literally be like this. Hey, hey, it is game on. Like, it is time to go. Like, ready? Like, God, I want to be open to what you want to speak through whoever is preaching the sermon. I want you to speak that through to me today. It's one of the ways that God uses a sermon is to use a sermon to speak to us. But God not only uses sermons to speak to us, he uses sermons to encourage me, right? What happens when we're here? God's gonna use a sermon to encourage you. The city of Ephesus had tried to run the Christians out right before this chapter that we're looking at today. At the beginning, in the previous chapter, they had tried to run the Christians out of town. And they said, you're the ones who need to change. Why did they say that? Because the church in Ephesus worshipped Diana, this false goddess. They worshipped her. Well, now the church, the believers, the way, they are worshipping Jesus. And they're saying, listen, you're the ones who have to change. You get out of here. And a persecution breaks out. That's what happens right beforehand. And so we find out here that God wants to use sermons to encourage us. In Acts chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, when the uproar had ended... Paul sent for the disciples, and after what? Help me out here. After encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. What happened? They just faced persecution. They needed to be together. They needed, they needed to be encouraged. And God's going to use preaching. He's going to use a sermon to encourage the people. You need that. When you come to church, you need to be encouraged. But not only do you need to be encouraged... God's going to use a sermon to challenge us, right? He's going to use a sermon to challenge me. If you have never been challenged in a sermon, then I'm not doing my job. If you've not sat here and felt like you ever received a challenge from God, then simply I'm not doing my job. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 4.2. He's giving his final exhortation to this young pastor, this young preacher that Paul started the church but then had launched Timothy as the pastor. He says this, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, oh, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. See, my job in an always changing world, right? We've got elections this week. In an always changing world, my job, listen, is not to be elected. It's not. My job is to get you saved. See, and some people in here, you like when I preach hard truth. In fact, I start preaching hard truth, and you're like, mm, get him, pastor. You go, mm. You're like elbowing the person next to you, right? Mm, get him, get him. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Where you're sitting in church, and you're like, mm, get him. And all of a sudden, God says something through me to you, and you're like, ow, ouch. And you're like, you're like offended. 
it's true, but you're offended. And you're like, that was hurtful. That was painful. In fact, some of you are like, I'm not coming back. Wow, I can't believe that was said. I'm not coming back here. I would say, you know what? I love you. And there are a lot of churches out there. But I want you to know that God is going to use a sermon to challenge you. I love you. My job is to teach you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear, right? That my job is to comfort the afflicted. Amen. Thank goodness for that, right? But it's also to afflict the comfortable. And more often, you and I here in America, we are comfortable than we are afflicted. And so sometimes God's going to speak truth that you can hear that goes to your heart through my words. My job is to teach you what God's word is saying. Listen, my job is not to take the word of God and make it simple, because it's not simple. I have a master's degree in this book. It is not simple. It is incredibly complex. And yet the spirit of God makes it open so that you and I can reach the word of God and we can understand that my job is not to make it simple, like to dumb it down. My job is to take what is so complex and make it clear. That's my job. Listen, it is easier to be a preacher who preaches. I can just preach the, the intellectual of the historical context. I can tell you all about Ephesus. I can tell you about the history of the region. I can tell you all about the Greek words and what the Greek words mean. And it is easy to preach that. It is easy to preach information. It is hard to preach application. It is hard to preach where this information makes it to our heart. That's a hard thing to do. My job is to take the scriptures, open them up, and make them clear. Why do I read the Bible, right? I've got a degree in the book. Why do I need to read the Bible? Because I'm a knucklehead sometimes and I forget, right? We're forgetful people. I need to be reminded. Have you ever done that? You're like reading the Bible or you're in a sermon and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I knew that. I just had kind of forgotten. I had gotten away from it. Oh, that's right. I hadn't remembered. We are a forgetful people, aren't we? We need the scripture. We need time in the Bible, not just for sermons. We need the time in the Bible for the Lord to speak to us directly. We're forgetful people. And God sometimes is going to use sermons to remind you, to remind you and me. Acts 20, verse 35, this is what Paul says. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, quote, it is better... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's saying, listen, let's not get away from helping out those who are poor. Let's not get away from helping out the weak or doing the hard work. He's saying, we've got to. Why? Because we're forgetful people. We want to just start caring for ourselves. Let's not care for everybody else. Let's just care for us. And Paul's saying, no, 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 let's not forget. Let me remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the heart of the gospel. That in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one, his only, his begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, oh, thank goodness, but have everlasting life. That God gave as the first initiator. It was more blessed for him to give than it was for us to receive. But aren't you so glad that we can receive the assurance of our salvation. Yes. But those who receive the assurance of their salvation, it is now more blessed for us to give than receive. That's important to remember on Black Friday. That's important to remember on Christmas. That's important to remember through all the advertisements that will be mailed to you in the next two months. 
It is more blessed to give than receive, to give to God's kingdom, to honor the Lord, to continue to walk with him in that way. God's going to use the words of the gospel to remind us. But we have a problem with it. Sometimes we judge God's feelings toward us based on the kind of day we're having, kind of week we're having. I don't know if God really loves me because I've been bad this week. I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if he feels good to me because I don't feel good about me. And we begin to judge God's feelings to us based on our feelings about the kind of day that we're having. But you and I, we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to come in here and sing that our dream is God. We need to come in here and sing that we're listening to the, the words of God. We need to come in here and be reminded that you and I, we are sons or daughters of the most high God whom he loves, with whom or in whom he is well pleased. How does God feel about you? He loves you and he's well pleased with who you are and he's gonna love us and he's gonna challenge our disobedience but it's all out of love and we come in thinking, no, I, I haven't had a good week or a good day and we begin, we need to be reminded, don't we? And for some of you, listen, some of you, you come in here, the song might be the sermon. What God wants to communicate to you might be through the lyrics of the song. As you're standing, as you're singing, you're like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten. God loves me. Oh yeah, God meets me. He's giving me comfort. He's giving me encouragement. He's giving me love even through that. Through other things, it can be through a testimony, a video. It's going to be through the sermon. It's going to be through a conversation. But you and I, we need to be reminded in one of the ways that God reminds us is through the medium of a sermon. That's how God uses sermons to encourage us, to challenge us, to remind us. But God also uses sermons to comfort us, to comfort us. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, Paul writes, but the one who prophesies, that word prophesies is the word to preach, one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. The part of the reason you and I need to be in church, part of the reason we listen to sermons is we need comfort. We need it. I don't know what's all gone in your life during the week, and, and there's some of you here who have to bury a family member this week. There's others of you here who are going through an incredible grief. You're going through, but I do know this. I have walked with some of you through the darkest times of life. Your divorce, the health crisis that you found yourself in, your jail time. I've helped some of you bury your child. I've come alongside you as your spouse has been unfaithful to you, as your son or your daughter got drug addicted. I've come alongside even as a church and walked with you as someone attempts or even commits suicide. And sometimes what you need to hear are the words of comfort from your pastor. And he simply reflects the word of comfort from God who has comforted us so that we can comfort one another. And you need to hear, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes God's going to use the context of a sermon to comfort you. God will speak comfort through my mouth to your soul because it's what you need. But here's what's sad. Some of you, when you need church the most, it's when you go the least. 
when you need church the very most, it's when you go the least. I mean, that moment when you just don't have it in you to get up and to get to church, I would guarantee are the moments when you need to be in church the most. It's why you need to be here every week. Some people are like, oh, I go three, you know, I go two, three times a month. No, you need to be here all the time. I guarantee you that, that the Lord, need, he wants to use the medium of sermons to walk with you, to relate with you, to communicate with you. You need to be here all the time. And there are those moments when you need to force yourself to get to church. Why? Because you need comfort. You need direction. Sometimes people after a sermon will come up to me and say, oh, pastor, today... Today, when you told me that I need to break up with my boyfriend because we are not living right, wow, that was just exactly what I needed to hear. And I go, I, I didn't say that. And they're like, yes, you did. You told me that I need to break up with my boyfriend because we weren't living right. And, and, and I, I heard that. I'm like, I didn't say that. In fact, I was preaching on the meaning and importance of baptism. That's what I preached on today, right? That's what happened. But they're like, no, 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 no. What, what's happening in that situation? What's happening is that God spoke to you. In the midst of my words, God told you something. You heard it through my mouth, but God bypassed my words to get straight to your heart. That's what happened. That's what happened right there. God spoke to you. And he'll do that because he loves you. And he uses the context of a sermon to do it. So God uses sermons not only to encourage and challenge and remind and comfort me, but God uses sermons to direct me. That's what he does with sermons, right? Listen, pastors in our culture are caving into the pressure of the world and what they say. They're changing what the Bible says. They're trying to say, what is it you want to hear? What is it you would like to hear instead of what does God want to say? All the time in our culture, pastors are caving into the pressure of our culture. And our culture right now, you watch, our culture right now says of Christians, you are the ones who need to change. You are the ones who are living in the dark ages in your belief. You are the ones who need to adapt to the rest of us in the world. That's what's happening in our culture right now. But listen, it is only by the gospel of Jesus Christ by which people are saved and changed and transformed. That's it. That's it. Pray, listen, pray that we never, never stop preaching the good news of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Pray for me that I preach it boldly or fearlessly as I should. There are pastors all over who are caving. I wish it weren't so, but that's simply not the case. Acts 20 verse 25 says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again, right? He's gonna, he knows, I'm leaving here, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna get arrested, I'm gonna travel around, and, and I'm gonna be in chains. So he says this, listen, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's why they were up all night listening to him, okay? Verse 26, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. That's a weird statement. What are you saying? He says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. What's Paul saying? What's Paul saying? He said, we've had this special relationship. You've been a part of the church, and, and I want you to know as of this moment that if you don't believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that's on you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I've preached the whole will of God. I've preached that it is the will of God that all should be saved, that none should perish. That's what God wants. It's why he delays his return. 
Because he wants you to hear, he wants you to believe, and he wants you to respond back to him. That's why he doesn't come back right now. Because it is the will of God that people be saved. He loves you so much to keep giving you a chance. And Paul is saying, listen, even if we never see each other, I have a guilt-free conscience. I'm not even, you know, uh, I'm not guilty of your blood in any way because I know that I've preached the whole will of God. If you don't believe, that's on you. That's what he's saying. And that's why it's important for you and me that we choose a preacher carefully. That we choose a preacher carefully. Careful who you listen to, right? Because a preacher's words can save you or a preacher's words can condemn you. The Jewish people were so familiar with this. They were so familiar with the fact that Jesus showed up and he said, listen, it is the blind preaching leading the blind. They're loading you down. The regular people, these preachers of his day, those Pharisees, they were loading the people down with all sorts of rules that are not in the Bible. They were loading them down with guilt and shame. They were withholding the full truth of the word of God and they were burdening the people. Be careful who you live. A pastor's words can condemn you. Be careful who you listen to. Make sure that they are speaking the truth of the word of God. I wish pastors continue to preach the gospel, but as we've mentioned, that simply isn't the case. So in Acts 20, verse 28, this is what Paul tells the church of Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Again, he bought it with his own blood. I didn't shed my blood for the church. You didn't shed your blood for the church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. He shed his blood for the church. He is God. He goes on and says this. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in and among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and what? They'll distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after who? Help me out. After them. They want to come in and draw away disciples after them. Listen, God nominates preachers. He calls them. God nominates his preachers, and the devil nominates his. And you can tell the difference because the devil's preachers will say, follow me, follow me, follow me. But God's preachers will say, follow Christ. Follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Paul said it this way, model your lives in the way after I have pursued and followed Christ. You model, you mimic the same things you saw in me where I was following Christ. And the default is this, if you saw stuff in me where I wasn't following Christ, don't mimic that. Follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. That's what he's preaching, that's what he's saying. Do not listen to preachers who all the time are trying to draw away disciples to themselves, tickling people's ears with what they think they want to hear. What does it mean? I'm an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. I'm not the good shepherd. There's only one. And I'm in pursuit of him like you are. So let's follow Jesus together. Amen? All right. God calls us to honor those who preach. I loved it last week. It was so sweet of our elder board to pray for the guys on staff that uh, we give the title pastor to, they've gone to school, they've uh, you know, done the hard work, they're ordained, and uh, it just was awesome. 
But I want you to understand that God calls you as an individual to honor those who preach. And what that means is this, that when God calls you to a church, when, when, if you're sitting here and you're saying, yes, at some point I'm going to make Sun Grove Church be my church, not only my church uh, family, but my, my home. It's going to be the church that, I, that God is calling you to, to basically join a church, but also God is calling you to commit to the leader. He really is. If you don't believe me, then you don't understand leadership in the Bible. If you don't believe me, you need to read about the sons of Korah in the Old Testament when they stood against Moses, God's chosen leadership, and they said, let's have a new election, let's try ourselves, and God still had Moses reaffirmed, chosen, and later on they rebelled against him, and God caused the earth to swallow up and eat them all. God calls you to a church. He also calls you to listen to the leader. Why? Because sometimes God's going to speak through that leader to you. And if you can't do it here, listen, there are a lot of good churches. There are. And I want you to know that I love you. But there are also other good places out there. But God's going to leverage that, that you commit, that you honor, you show honor. And it's not just to those who preach. It's to those who are teaching your kids. Show them honor. Don't tell them what to do. Don't criticize their ministry. Don't make their job a burden. Make it a delight for them. How can you help? Bring solutions, bring, bring your service, help them. Come alongside them, honor those that God has put to bring the word of God to you. That's your small group leader, that's your person who you're sitting to, you're listening to, it's your pastors, it's your staff. Listen, honor them. We need to honor those that God has called to preach and we need to pray for them. Pray for them. You think they pray a lot, they're good. No, 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 pray for them. Satan knows the best way to take out your church is to attack the shepherd, right? The scriptures say that it, when the shepherd is attacked, when the shepherd is removed, the sheep what? They scatter. Some of you know that. You know that, that the shepherds attack, the sheep scatter. And we see all too often in our world where the shepherd gets attacked and a, a huge church turns into 200 people. And you're like, what happened? Satan knows the best way to take out your church is to attack. The shepherd. So I need you to pray for me. Right? I'm still a man. I still have all the same pressures you do. I have the same issues you do. But here's the difference. God calls me to carry my garbage. But he also calls me to carry yours. And that's the burden. And listen, you don't know the weight of that until you are in my shoes. You don't know what I carry during the week. You don't know the crises that are coming up. You don't know what, sometimes you know is what feels the most important to you, but what you need to know is that's the burden. And so I've got to have guys in my life that I go deep with, that I can be honest with and share with, and we carry one another's burdens. That's why we've got to circle up as a church. We don't just need simply the limitations of the pulpit alone, right? Pray for me. That's the burden. Listen, you could be an associate pastor in a church and you won't understand the burden until you're the senior. You could be a youth pastor and you won't get it until you're a senior. There is just something unique about that. If you're on an elder board, you get it because you got nominated. You didn't choose yourself. And you are one of the overseers of the church and you understand the spiritual warfare. You understand the dynamic of carrying the burdens to be a shepherd, an under-shepherd of the good shepherd to the sheep. You understand it. 
that's the burden. Pray for me. So pray for me. I need it. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly be, make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Right? He's left the church of Ephesus. He's not there. He's now in jail. And he's saying, listen, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray for me. Pray for me that I will not get discouraged, that I will remain faithful. It is an honor to be your pastor. I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love this church. I love being your pastor. I want you to understand that. But I see too many pastors getting discouraged and calling it quits. Their churches, they're not, they don't honor them. They can't afford to get their kids through college and they simply walk away going, look, I could use my giftedness better in the marketplace. And the enemy is attacking the shepherd and the sheep scatter. And it's happening all too often. Listen, we honor those. You might move, you might go somewhere else, you, you might leave and go somewhere else, but wherever you go, that you understand the dynamic, you join your church, you follow that leader, you honor that person, you pray for your leaders. I think sometimes the reason our country is in such trouble is we don't pray for our leaders as much as we should. Whoever becomes leader, we are commanded as believers in Jesus to pray for that person. And I guarantee you, praying for that person may not change them, but it will change you and your feelings toward them after Tuesday, amen? I see too many pastors, leaders in the church, getting discouraged when they're calling it quits. I see too many people who start serving. They start teaching in a Sunday school class. They start working with kids. They start working with youth. The cares of life come up. People get nasty, whatever, and they get discouraged and they walk away. And the enemy is at work to try to discourage you. You and I need hope. We need hope in our lives. We need those who come alongside to build us up, to lift our arms up, to encourage us. And I love it last week. The last week the elders prayed for the pastors, but I, I want to tell you, you know, we couldn't do anything that we do without our staff and our ministry leaders. So here's what I want to do. If you are a staff person at Sun Grove Church or you're a ministry leader, that means you lead a small group. That means you're serving, teaching kids the word in a Sunday school class. It means that you're leading a ministry. You're an usher, uh, you know, a coach of ushers, whatever. Whatever. If you're a ministry leader in the church, I want you to stand up right now. Right where you're seated, just stand right up. Please stand right up. If you're a ministry leader here at Sun Grove Church, you stand up anywhere all around the room. All right, here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray for our leaders in our church. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, you're going to extend your hand toward them. We're going to take a moment, and as I pray, you're going to be like, whatever Dave prays, I'm going to agree with that. I agree with that for these people. I'm going to pray for them. And you're going to just extend your hand. I'm just going to let you know, the closest exit may be behind you, so you might need to turn around a little bit. But let's just do that. Will you bow your heads with me? Extend your hand. Let's pray for these people who are standing. Jesus, by your power and in your name, I pray that you would bring hope to those who are serving, to those who bring the word to other people, to those who are leading small groups, to those who are taking the high calling to serve you as their king and their God. Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen them, strengthen their ministry, bring hope to them, times of refreshing, that God, you would just walk with them, bring joy back into their heart and into their life. God, would you help them not race for a moment, but that they would race a marathon until your return. We pray this as the church for those who are in leadership with us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. That's awesome. God calls. And the first call he gives 
is that you and I come to salvation. There are some of you here in this room and you're wondering why am I here and what is that feeling I have in my heart? You're realizing that, that you have not called God. God has called you. He is calling you to give your life to him. He is calling you to come to salvation. He's calling you to let go of your sin, let go of your shame, let go of your guilt. You are so attached to it and God is calling you to let go of that and say, it is the blood of Jesus that forgives me of my sin. Some of you, you're making it your own blood trying to forgive you of your sin. And no amount of cutting, scratching, biting, yelling, or self-hate will get rid of it. It won't. Your bleeding won't do it. It was the blood of Jesus hanging on the cross who took the initiative to forgive you of your sin. Will you just bow your heads, close your eyes, because we have ADD. I want you to think about just your own life for a moment. If right now Jesus Christ is calling you to himself, if you are saying, God, I want to be forgiven of my sin, I want your blood to wash away my sin, I want to have the assurance of eternal life with you, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated, inviting Jesus in. You just repeat something like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I admit that it was your blood that was poured out so my sins could be washed away. I receive that. And I believe that. I believe that you were dead on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to make me a new creation. Wash my sins as white as snow. Because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.